podcast starts. Hello everyone, welcome if you're listening for the first time, and if you're coming back to us, welcome back, and thanks for sticking with us. This show talks about horror, horror in film, TV, other media, other items which we think of as adjacent to horror, and sometimes other things from our lives which we'd like to talk about, just because that's who we are. Our discussions aim to be fun, intelligent and hopefully useful if your interest in horror texts comes from a creative or an academic perspective. But be warned, we do tend to swear sometimes, and anything less offensive than the C word doesn't get bleeped. So, if you're still able to go into a place of work, we are probably not safe for it. Now, in this episode, we're going to be delivering a change of the promised schedule. Last week, I mentioned that this episode coming up would be the final episode in the podcast series. We're going to take a spring break. Spring break, as the Americans apparently say. Um, (laughs) uh, But we are not going to stop the series just yet. Instead of ending right now, you're going to get one episode extra. And today we're going to be giving you the 10th in our occasional ongoing series of reviews of movies in the Halloween franchise. Today we're going to be talking about, wow, Rob Zombie's film Halloween 2 from 2009. I'm quite pleased that we've got this far and that we've managed to basically cover the entirety of the first 10 Halloween films within our first series of the podcast because that means that next series we can start with David Gordon Green's Halloween from 2018 which is essentially the beginning of a new rebooted franchise so it's a good place for a break. Um... The reason why we're putting this review out, which was actually uh, recorded back in 2018, that's when we talked about the film, um, is because uh, the plan was that this week would be our finale for the season and it would be a time for the four of us hosts to talk about everything we, we felt that we should have said in earlier episodes and just have a look back at the topics we've discussed so far. Unfortunately, however... My three regular co-hosts, Ian, Stella and Kirsty, are all unable to be here this week. They, frankly, had something far more exciting to do, and I hope that we'll be able to talk about what that was uh, next week. So, uh, miss you all, but luckily I'm able to call on the archives and bring out a discussion with three other friends um, about Halloween. 2009 Halloween 2 rather. By the way I'm Dan uh, I'm TD Velasquez but you can call me Dan and for the discussion of Halloween 2 I'm going to be joined by uh, my regular co-hosts in the Halloween review segments it's Howard Whittock uh, from Shropshire and Spider Dan from the Spider Dan and the Secret Boys podcast this discussion was recorded just after he'd launched his own podcast and therefore he gets to talk a little bit about the podcast and and what he hopes to do with it. I'm very pleased to say that his wonderful podcast Spider Dan and the Secret Wars has now been running uninterrupted for two years um, and there's lots of entertaining episodes out there 
um, some of which I'm on and always pleased to join in. Our fourth voice on this episode of our podcast will be actor Luke Richards. Actor, writer and Michael Myers from the upcoming uh, Halloween fan film One Night in Haddonfield. Luke's joined us on a few of the previous discussions in the Halloween series and he wasn't able to join us for the live discussion recording uh, for Halloween 2 2009 but he did send in some recorded thoughts which we've been able to edit into the um, discussion and we listened and reacted to them during the discussion. Um, All of these lovely individuals you'll get to uh, read more about on our website and in our show notes I'll put links to their their social media, Twitter feeds and things like that. Um, Having said all that, I think it's time for me to hand over to the past 2018 uh, versions of myself, Howard, uh, Spider-Dan and Luke and have a look again at this particular uh, instalment in the Halloween franchise. And I, 2021 Vintage Dan, will be back at the end to offer a few uh, items of recommendation. Oh, and by the way, unlike every episode that we've done in 2021 so far, there will not be a Bag of Death segment with myself and Howard uh, in this episode. But then again, you will just have heard quite enough, hopefully, of uh, of me and Howard banging on about a film. So um, it wouldn't have, add much in the way of variety to the episode anyway. So I'll see you at the end for the recommendations. Enjoy this step back in time. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 10th, can you believe it, the 10th of our And Now the Podcast Start series of movie review and discussion podcasts focusing on the Halloween franchise. We are your hosts, Howie and Dan, and we are joined by our very special guest, Dan. Hello. Hello. Hello, Dan. Uh, The other Dan. The other Dan. And here with us in spirit, if not in person, is Luke, who has recorded some uh, comments on this wonderful film that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, our friend Luke couldn't make it today, very sadly, but um, he has sent us some thoughts, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, I just want to say also that um, we're back recording in one of our previous haunts, the wonderful Unicorn Pub in Manchester. It is a bit noisy here, though, as it is a fairly Mm. rowdy Saturday afternoon. Yes, it's a bit raucous. Um, so I just want to apologise to the listener for that. Hopefully the, uh, the background hubbub won't impinge on your enjoyment too much. And Hopefully also, we'll get people more enjoying themselves than all those people downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what? Well, you know, the, we need to get all the enjoyment we can into this particular podcast. <laughs> um, or do we? I don't want to give anything away. Uh, you've recently launched your podcast, Dan. I certainly have, yes. So uh, Spider Dan and the Secret Boars. Ah, yes, I heard the first episode and it was terrific. Why, thank you. I mentioned you and Howard. Yeah, we Brilliant. had a great plug and it was um, very much appreciated. <laughs> My podcast is about basically uh, unheard of or underappreciated forms of entertainment so mostly kind of cult films and comic books mostly for the most part so we do various different segments on all of those so we're a little later in the in the year or in the new year now so i've been doing in these series of podcasts i've been doing what i like to call my alternativity stories all right so uh, basically they're um, alternative christmas movies so if you're sick of seeing home alone 
um, you know, My a Christmas Story, you know, all the kind of regular ones. Even if you're sick of seeing Die Hard as well, which is very good, but you know. Um, so I'm picking out films that are set either at Christmas time or any other religious holiday around that time, New Year's, um, winter, anything kind of that sort of basis. I'm picking those out and I'm letting uh, the listeners decide which one is best or which one they want to see me kind of record or listen to. Uh, the first one was Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, which is a Finnish film. Excellent choice, I've seen it. It's yeah, great fun. It I especially good. love the American character. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's great to... Um, See a movie where a non-American actor is doing a ludicrous attempt to, be, to, to have an American accent. Yeah, oh, it's like uh, we have a grave to rob. It's kind of his weird voice, but uh, no. where he goes, he's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. <laughs> it's um, it's pleasantly reminiscent of Doctor Loomis. It is a little bit, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that's a, that was the first one. So uh, we'll just have to see what comes next or what. Um, go on, uh, we're available. We, uh, it's it's just me. It's just me in the podcast. No, 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 no. It's no, just no. me. By now you will have amassed an army of... An army adjutants. of elves. <laughs> Obedient uh, elves. Can I just say, I don't do a podcast. <laughs> you do, Howard, you <laughs> Well, liar. I do this one, I don't do any others. Yes. I, I, I will, one day, I promise, do my one Columbo ah, yes. podcast. Me and my mate Chris will talk about Columbo. I would, li- I would listen to that. I'd listen to that. I'd listen to it. Um, we, uh, we, me, and my listeners, and my podcast is available on Podbean, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify as well. So if you have any of those, or if you signed up to any of those, uh, it's free to listen to. So go ahead and do it. And you have a great line in kind of discovering cult movies that often you have not actually seen before, and you've kind of exactly dug, you've dug them out of. Oh, I've done some serious research. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Because, so, I yeah. mean, uh, the, the episode I listened to was about Phantom of the Paradise. That's which right. Which is a, a movie that I've always wanted to see and never got round to. So mm. it was really nice to hear someone talking about it. And I really must watch it now. Definitely, definitely. It's a, it's, it's a great film. I, I was going to do Rocky Horror as the first one. But the uh, because I felt that Rocky Horror has sort of become quite mainstream, I wanted to do something similar um, on a similar kind of subject, like a rock musical. Um, and that one... You know, piqued my interest, so I went with that one instead. All right, excellent. Well, podcasts and no podcasts. Um, by the way, Howard, I appreciate you chipping in and saying that you don't have a podcast there because this is radio, and unless you say something, you know, to the listener, you cease to exist. Right. So it's 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 essential <laughs> even to point out that you're even not to doing. Me, even to me, mention it. even to me, I see you fading away like a, a Martin <laughs> McFly photograph. <laughs> <laughs> So let's come to the order of business of the day, shall we? Rob Zombie's 2009 film, Halloween 2, uh, ingeniously titled after 1981's Halloween 2, but a quite different film. You've witnessed the birth of evil. Are you a giant? Now, the secret behind his madness will finally be revealed. Only a river of blood can bring us together again. He's out! There's police! No, there's no one out here. We are all counting on you to take us home this year. Now go have some fun. On August 28th, evil is here. Walking amongst us, Michael is more evolved. Rob Zombie I'm not strong enough. completes his extreme vision of a terror. 
terrifying legend. Kill her, baby. Our last episode, we talked about the 2007 movie, which Rob Zombie made, uh, which was technically a remake of the 1978 Halloween. Uh, two years later, he produced a sequel. I went to see this at the pictures. We say pictures where I come from. <laughs> I um, still say pictures. Oh, I say go to the pictures. I say it all the time. Oh, nice. Well, you see, I, I, I work in Norfolk and Suffolk, and they don't say that down there. Oh, I do. Mm. They, they, they give me... They, they do kind of look, oh, how charming kind of look <laughs> whenever I say that huh. kind of thing at work. Um, but, yeah, I actually saw this movie at the cinema on the same day that I met you for the first time, Howard. Yeah. We'd both been to... Uh, Cripes. <laughs> the very first day of an improv workshop, and it was so traumatising that all I could do when it was all over was go on my own to watch Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Um, and that was an, an evening... Uh, um, well, I, I obviously can't forget. Um, I think what we should do is let Luke take the discussion away, though, because he's obviously thought long and hard about this. He can't, as we said, he can't be here today, but he has sent us some recorded thoughts of his on the film, and I, I think it's only fair to let him lead, both because he's not actually here to speak up for himself, but also because he's kind of the most knowledgeable of the four of us about zombies oeuvre, and if I pronounce that correctly, and these particular uh, movies. So we'll let him take it away. Here's Luke. Hi, I'm Luke, and I'm so looking forward to talking about Halloween 2. <laughs> um, so, as you may not know, um, Halloween 2007, the Rob Zombie film, um, wasn't a big critical darling um, than expected, but it did make a lot of money. And with you know the Hollywood system, if a film does really good and it's got potential to be a franchise, they will greenlit a sequel before or after the film. So... Originally, uh, the Halloween producer, uh, Malik Akkad, um confirmed that there was going to be a sequel to Rob Zombie's film. And originally, Rob Zombie didn't want to do it. Um, the first directors who were approached to do Halloween 2 uh, were actually two French filmmakers called Julien Mori, and I'm sorry if I get it wrong, uh, Alexandre uh, Bustillo. And they were originally in negotiations to direct Halloween 2. Um, but it was reported then that uh, later on Zombie had expressed interest because he was actually exhausted from making the first Halloween film and and he didn't want to make a sequel to it uh, he didn't want to make a sequel to his Halloween but he said like after a year of cooling down and just taking a bit of a break uh, he came more open to the idea and he wanted to explore uh, the boundaries and you know it just did be loose and like explore what he explored in his film and take it to the next level and unfortunately uh, the things that he takes to the next level are the neg negative things of Halloween 2 that just make it this horrible really nasty film compared to the last Halloween film that he made and you know um, I'm going to start off with the positive first because I'm always like you know with every bad thing there is a there's a speck of goodness somewhere especially in a rob zombie film um so the first thing i mean i'll just say this first that i the problem with halloween is obviously it was too long so this one is a bit more condensed even though it's roughly about 105 minutes long so it's it's a lot shorter 
compared to uh, the two hour run of his remake which is a blessing um, but with that as well uh, so the positive thing about it I love the opening of Halloween 2 where it's not the part where the mother meets her son in the asylum but the like the first 20-30 minutes where it's literally a remake of um, Halloween 2 uh, the 81 version where Laurie Strode is in the hospital and you know she's just she's in trauma she's in shock you know she's just killed Michael and you know she's just literally walking down the road and the police car comes behind her and she's taken to the hospital um, so I loved how I loved that how that scene uh, built tension because I thought oh wow they're really you know he really has made um, the remake of Halloween 2 he's actually made it quite interesting so we're going to start from here is it going to jump back and forth or is it going to like say is it going to be a continuing chase um, so Laurie who's like broken damaged and she's got to escape from Michael starting from the hospital and does it lead back to Hanfield or does it take another route um, but unfortunately um, it does turn out that there's a twist um, that she's been dreaming it was all a dream um so I like that the opening of um, I like the opening of Halloween two with it, even though it is still a bit heavier and there are a bit of aspects where it's um, what I like to call Rob Zombie's shock, shock, shock uh, when she falls like on the pile of dead bodies. Um, yes, yeah, so that's one thing I liked about it. Um, I'm glad that Malcolm McDowell came back, but again. Um, I'll go further into detail about what I didn't like about his performance in this. Um, so that's the only positive thing I could find in Halloween 2. Um, just that 30 minutes, uh, 20 30 minutes of um, the remake of Halloween 81. Okay, well, so I'm going to just stop Luke there just for a second because I've got the sense that he's explicitly moving from positive things he wants to say about the movie onto, onto negative things. And before we start to do that... I, I think maybe we should just chip in the three of us and see do we agree with what you're saying? Have we got anything else that we, we'd like to say about this movie um, that we appreciate about this movie that kind of agrees with what he said or that adds to what he said? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't mind the kind of dream ghost sequences so much. You know, the white horse, the, the pumpkin family, the... The, no, the little don't. Michael and the the actual Michael. Um, I just don't think they're. I think they're well done. They're well, you know, well directed and shot. But I don't think they belong in a Halloween movie. Well, I mean, I think that's a question that you could uh, ask about much of the stuff in this film. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, yeah. No, um, just in, in case the listener is not familiar, and I do think that maybe some people will listen to this podcast having mm. not seen the film, mm. because um, I, I listened to podcasts about Zombies Halloween 1 before seeing it, mm. um, because I had no real intention to see it until this podcast, but I wanted <laughs> to kind of know what it was like. Um, yeah, a Zombie uses this device, which is kind of effective in a sort of stage tableau kind of way, yeah. of... Um, having Michael's... Uh, giving dialogue to Michael, but instead of the adult Michael saying it, it's kind of the ghost of his younger self yeah. standing there. And he's not played by the actor from the previous film. He was vague, Ferk. He's played by an actor called Chase Wright Vanek. And I think... Luke- Where did he... Because <laughs> he deliberately cast people they've got these weird, unpronounceable names. Did he get off on that? <laughs> <laughs> it's 
just but just you know the punishment for people in podcasts that don't know American things. Spotlight and see <laughs> the most ridiculous names I can. You know, it's far more interesting than anything in the film is to think about where these people get their names from. Howard, what is ridiculous about Sherry Moon Zombie? Well, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of things. So, yeah, um, I think as Luke might have explained last episode, but um, they wanted to bring back Derek Feck. (laughs) Careful how you say that. (laughs) But he'd grown too much. In just the two years between movies, his appearance had changed sufficiently that Zombie felt that the audience wouldn't recognise him as the same character. So he cast this other actor who, to be honest, doesn't look much like him. Not really. really, They've both just got the long hair. But I do think that by... The movie opens with a kind of flashback to when Michael was incarcerated and his mother was alive and Mm. visiting him in the asylum. And, And I think that's kind of quite effective because it sets up the movie... Not as a sequel, you yeah. know. It, it yeah. kind of it, it's the story of Michael and his mother in a, in a, in a way that the other movie isn't. Yeah. Um, and he kind of sets it kind of immediately says this is kind of going to be its own thing, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the things that I um, I appreciate about the movie is that I think you know basically Halloween was a remake of Halloween. Hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> I, but I don't think Zombies Halloween Two is a remake of. The 1981 no, no. Halloween. He de- he's definitely doing his own thing. I mean, and and I was unfortunately. So I think maybe you're giving away some feelings about this movie, Howard. Um, I hate it. <laughs> I, I'm going to be honest. I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it all. Okay. Really? I'll tell you the truth. I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I was watching this film. It started okay when I did think it was why. Why is the child? Why does Michael look totally different? But that, what the hell? I don't know. Mm. That's just me going senile. Then there's a scene of Laurie is there walking along and she's all covered in blood and then she's taken to the hospital and there she is traumatised and we get these incredibly graphic and gruesome scenes of surgery and being cut about and everything. Uh, and then we go um, to the scene in the car with the two cops in the car. This is where I started to really get angry and depressed and kind of... is cause it, This is what I think about this film is that Rob Zombie has got such... This is why I couldn't watch it, because Rob Zombie's got such contempt for the audience. So Apparently he didn't want to make this film, and that to me is very obvious in what happens. You've got these two cops, and one of them's joking about having sex with one of the dead girls, whatever. One of them. Yep. Uh, and you think, oh God, he's horrible, but the other cop, he's going to be all right. But then the other cop makes a joke about what's the difference between jam and yeah, jelly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I thought, well, they're both like that. Yeah. Who who... Who do you identify with? Who do you empathise with in yeah. this film? If everybody's horrible, if everybody's like this. And then they crash into a cow. <laughs> <laughs> they do. It's not uh, a joke. I thought, like, I thought the cow was good. So <laughs> was good cow acting. What a strange name, the cow. But it's very good. Uh, <laughs> and then there's some... Bri- oh, I have to say, there's some brilliant dialogue in this scene. I mean, <laughs> Oscar Wilde at your heart out. <laughs> because the, the cop who doesn't die... I think he says the word fuck over and over again. I he does. Think, wow, he does. That's, that's, in, in that's, as, as much variety as humanly yeah, possible yeah. to it's, say the word says fuck. It. It's like, uh, he does it. I'm just so impressed with his versatility, how he said that word so many, in and, so many different ways. And then when Michael Myers appeared and slices off his head with a shard of glass... Did you feel vindicated? You, you know, hated that character so much that you enjoyed seeing him die. Because I think that might be the, almost the logic of these scenes. Well, I, well, perhaps, perhaps that's what it's supposed to be—that you hate them so much. But I didn't because it's just so gruesome. Mm. And because I think it's because that's not what Michael did in the first film. I have to keep going back to the first film and how he was in that. And Michael in this—I know this is a different. I know this is a different franchise. This is a different director. Different. But in this, Michael Myers is just another serial killer who just. There's really, really horrible murders. And I thought, you know, he doesn't just kill him, stab him. He cuts his head off and that's... 
I think I, 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 I was upset for the cow. I think <laughs> I think there's something to be said for for awful characters getting there. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with awful yeah. characters, but yeah. you need some nice people to no, balance. That's the what I was going to say. I was going to say with like, for example, I always go back to comic books, but that's just me. But when I watch uh, like a Punisher film, a film about uh, a vigilante who viciously kills criminals because his family were killed by criminals. Those people are usually painted in the worst possible light. They're not you don't identify with them, and that's why when they do get their just deserves, you feel ah yes, they deserve this. Yes. They've, they've they've been building towards this very gruesome death. However, with Michael, he also kills innocent teenage girls. Yeah. So there's there's I can't I I can't go yay Michael when he's killing innocent teenage girls or at least attempting to kill innocent teenage girls for the most part. And you know, so I think you would have it would have to be somewhat a heroic figure or identifiable figure. But even even here, we don't have as much build up with that like we had in the previous film with Robson. We had that huge, I think it's like an hour or so yeah. of build up with Michael. So we identify now. They're kind of I'm going to call it the white horse shoehorning because <laughs> right. that's basically what this was like. Oh, white horses, purity and uh, oh, white horses. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was my and childhood. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to get killed. We'll do what we that's can. not in the copyright. We can't get killed. No. Copyright. <laughs> I think you're probably off key. <laughs> but yeah, so, I don't. I think there's something to be said for that. But your character well, has, yeah, no, to be morally, to... has to be morally a little bit cleaner than Michael is. I'm all in favour of uh, having unpleasant characters, and I'm all in favour of having unpleasant characters killed in unpleasant ways. It's great yeah. to see the bad guys die. Where Eagles there when yeah. all the Nazis get shot? Yes. I love that scene. Yes. I think it's great. I'm cheering. But there's nobody. I just, I just find this world. I don't know about Rob Zombie's other films. Like, I don't know what. Devil's Rejects is like I've seen a bit of it but I just get the feeling that, that all his films are set in this terrible world this trailer trash world for want of a better mm. yeah. I think we talked about yeah, that we sort did. Of like, we, I think it's a very kind of um, what's uh, I don't know uh, unfair or, 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 or wrong I can't think of the word wrong portrayal of working class people yeah. I think yeah. it's a negative yeah, negative. it's a very it's, negative it's a, betrayal uh, and I just uh, and, uh, and after that scene then we go to the hospital and then there's that, and then Octavia Spencer, who I believe was in the the help. The help, she? The yeah. help. yeah, the Oscar-winning Octavia Spencer. Uh, she Didn't get an Oscar, Oscar for this. I have no. She won an Oscar for the Help later, and I've seen her in Hidden Figures, mm. and she's terrific. She was also with The Shape of Water. Oh, is she? Anybody seen that? No. Um, I've not got into it yet, but um, yeah, she plays a doctor or a nurse. Um, I think um, a nurse. I'm going to say nurse, but. And uh, she's in it for about a minute and then gets horribly killed. Yeah, she get, and the thing and is, she gets horribly killed. Yeah. That's the point. She comes out with a big cut across her face. And then and she falls over and Michael stabs her about ten times. This is what I can't take. It's, he stabs her yeah. ten times. He, he, yeah, yeah. I, even, I thought that was, many. even I thought that was overkill. I yeah. was like, I think she's dead, Mike. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think what was interesting is that um, when she... I mean, the part where you can see her face, Octavia Spencer really acts it to the max mm -hmm. which makes it horrible mm -hmm. but then when she's kind of falling out of shot and you can just see Michael stabbing down out of yeah. shot and you, you know oh no they, they do some like quick cuts of the knife yeah. going to flesh and things um, but I think the thing that you're most supposed to feel is his rage because yeah. every time he, he stabs he kind of goes yeah. like that. and um, I just think 
it, I don't really understand, and this kind of goes throughout the film, and I feel that we're kind of slipping into negatives. Yeah, <laughs> we definitely are. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's... But you that's know, the, there's, I don't know whether we're, whether we're meant to understand that rage yeah. or what. Well, no, you can't understand that rage when he's stabbing some poor innocent nurse yeah. ten times. No, no, Whatever you sympathy can't. you might have built up yeah. with at some point it's just, has just yeah. evaporated. Yeah. And yeah, but I, I'm not saying that in any way you should be sympathising with it. Because... I'm, okay, Howard, I've got to ask you a question. When you watched the film for this podcast, or as much of it as you could, was that the first time you'd seen it? Yes. Right. So I totally And the last. I totally <laughs> understand where you're coming from, because when I saw it at the, at the cinema in 2009, I came out more angry than I've ever been. Um, and So you understood Michael's range. <laughs> I did by the end. So maybe, maybe that was the, Maybe that was Rob Zombie's project. Um, to turn you into the next Michael. You know, and, and what I, uh, I have done... <laughs> you know what, it nearly worked. Uh, what I have worked hard to do on this one is to look at it again with different eyes. And, uh, and it's kind of with all the movies in this franchise, because there are obviously others in the series that I really didn't like. Yeah. Um, uh, but that would have been very difficult for me to do uh, when I'd recently seen the film because I just hated it so much. I, I, I don't mind saying that. Um, and I think partly that hatred was possibly because I really wanted it to be s- some kind of version of the original Halloween 2 because I do feel that Halloween 2, as we discussed on the episode about that film, is a really interesting sequel that they could have done more more with that concept of a movie that picks up like seconds after the end of the previous yeah. one, um, and and I, and I wanted to see another attempt at that, and it doesn't do that. So I hated it for that, but I also just hated it for what it was as well. Um, and uh, yeah, this, this time I just I tried to look at it with a little bit more open eyes, and I think I could kind of see that visually it's quite atmospheric I, I, I appreciate the fact that I think he is trying to do something different you know it doesn't cleave to the cliches of early Halloween films at all you know most of the time Michael Myers is not even wearing the mask we, um, you know and I'm not saying that it's effective that he isn't or, the, or whatever but at least it's different hmm. and, and well it I is suppose yes yeah, so I, I renamed it uh, Rob Zombie's Hobo Ween <laughs> right okay nice if he's um, trying to do something different, yes, that's fair, and that's, that should always be, you know, respected and, and whatever. I and, just you know, what he's doing, I just find vile. No, I agree, and uh, you know what? I, I horribly enough for the, for any listeners who who might like this movie, I don't think there'll be that many. But you know, some people do rate it. Um, yeah, we're probably going to go a little bit further down this track. I think maybe now is the time to give the mic back to our friend I Luke. I think, yes, yeah. I think and, so. And yeah. to hear what he thinks about the negative side of Halloween 2009. <laughs> Here we go, everybody. We're going, we're going deep in. We're going deep in. So, with Halloween 2, there are just... It's just like every bad aspect that was in Rob Zombie's original Halloween film is just literally... It's just literally rammed up to them. So every bad aspect, like the characterization, um, story, it's just literally rammed up. And this is, to me, an example of Rob Zombie showing off... I think, I want to say, like, using his artistic vision is rammed up instead of focusing on a straightforward story. Because if you know Rob Zombie, um, subtlety isn't his thing. Um, everything's got to be in your face, blood, guts, and... Uh, um, 
So the so I'll go with the characterization. Everyone is an asshole in this film. Like literally everyone is a dick. Um Laurie's a dick, Dr. Loomis is a dick, uh the people that Michael meets is a dick. Um it just seems like Rob Zombie just wanted everyone to be an asshole in this movie. Even the sheriff who has a little moment is talking about, you know, you, you don't know this actor who's in, you know, paint your red, wagon red. You know, Lee, Lee Marvin, he was a great, great guy. He, he becomes an asshole. Um, so, yeah, it's just like everyone's rammed up. So even, like, the guys who take Michael's body away um, head towards the morgue, they're just like, Hey, did you see that girl naked? I will mind jumping on that. Do you know what the difference is between jam and jelly? <laughs> so it's just that horrible, like, sort of like that American um, white trash, um, working class, redneck society, you know, that Rob Zombie puts in all his movies. Um, and everyone just comes off as a dick. So anyway, I know, I know, like, the character Laurie, I understand that she's struggling and she's got. You know, she's dealing with a lot. You know, she's just had to watch her friends die. She's just survived this attack by Michael. Um, she's discovered that he is her brother. And, you know, and you know, so she's screaming and she's in pain. But she just keep. It just seems like the... I understand that she's... Her defences are up. But it just feels like she's constantly in, like... Like every character, in asshole mode. And, you know, even like her stepsister because she's looked after he's kind of like you know it's your fault oh is this what you do now you're 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 just drinking now uh he's played by rashida jones um he's a good actress um but another thing that was really that really just made me go like like was how dr loomis even though in the first film it was shown how he exploited michael um, in his lectures, like these are the eyes of a psychopath. These are the eyes of a killer. Um, he he's literally turned into the massive asshole of of the whole thing. And I'm really, you know, Michael and Doctor Loomis and Malcolm McDowell does Malcolm McDowell. You know, he's he's got the accent and ah hello hello. And it's just the way he speaks to people. I don't know if Rob Zombie was just you know was just trying to show how fame can make the most smartest man or the most intellectual man a dick. I mean, I understand some examples, but it just felt really unnecessary. It just didn't feel like Dr. Loomis, because um, we were happy that... I was happy to see that he was back, and, you know, I thought that he was going to be following the same footpath um, that the original Dr. Loomis did, but unfortunately, no, it's just... He's just literally... Man, goes on tour, and... He's exploit. He's more exploitive. I mean, the scene in the bookshop where um, he's approached by the father's like, "My daughter died," you know, and you're exploiting her to death. Even Michael's ghostly mum was like, "He writes off our pain, our suffer, Michael. He must suffer." Um, yeah. So it just Dr. Loomis. You know, you've gone from this this iconic figure who was like you know we have to stop this evil this is what true evil is you know has gone from this iconic character to just becoming another asshole I mean I remember reading a review I think it was in either Empire or a total film where it said because there's a scene where he's with um, Weird Al Yankovic in interview and it said you know your horror film is bad when you have Weird Al Yankovic making fun of the protagonist 
and I was just like, yeah, yeah, you're true. And it did put a bad taste in my mouth because, again, Rob Zombie, um, as I said, subtleties in his thing. He he just take he just literally ramps everything up to eleven. Even like the gore is everywhere. I mean, the scene where um, and even Michael, Michael, the weird twist with Michael, um, who I call in this film like Hobo Michael, because literally he's just like all he does in the film is just wander. He just literally wanders. Um. And that's what I think about. And then he gets beaten up, uh, like seeing where he gets beat up by the guys in the truck. And again, it's the Rob Zombie kind of guys. We want the Altman brothers. Um, again, they literally slash, bam, throw him onto a car full of like horns. And you know, Michael's just killing everybody. Um, and y- y- I don't, I don't feel sorry for the people he kills. And that's the sad part about it. Like, I'm glad that. I'm- <laughs> Even though, like, Michael was just wandering around wearing a mask. Um, I, you know, I, I feel sorry for him, but at the same time, he doesn't carry that menace anymore. Because um, I think with the original Halloween film, he just, uh, Rob Zombie just took the mystery away. You know, you, the thing about Michael is you don't know anything about him. You don't know his backstory. And then in the, in, the, in his film... It just followed the basic steps of Michael was this, this is what happened to him, abusive, abusive dad, mom stripper, poor working class America. And, you know, Michael is just, again, just this big mammoth of a guy who, you know, big beard, hair, and, you know, at the end of the film was like, DIE! Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. And one aspect that I did find confusing, and this is where... Again, I'm bashing Rob Zombie, even though I love Rob Zombie, love his music, but and some of his styles. But he literally goes a bit too far. Is um, Ghost Mum, uh, Ghost Mum and the Horse? Um, you know where she's like, "It's time to bring the family back, Michael." And Sherry Moon comes back, and you know she 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 does well, like she does, um, just standing around looking confused in a white white gown, carrying a horse. And I just couldn't understand the aspect of the film. Because um, I know that with this film, the studio gave Rob Zombie the free the free range to do what he wanted. And I am curious to find out what Julia Murray and Alexandre Bastillo would have done with the project if um, Rob Zombie said he didn't want to do it. And it's just peculiar because... Um, it's just it's just pointless because another thing about the story is um, it just goes left, right, and center, and you know it just it doesn't hold you down as much. And the aspect of Rob Zombie's filmmaking is it's all shock and glam. I mean, especially when um, Michael kills Laurie's sister. Um, she goes in the shower and she sees Michael. Oh, and then when Laurie finds her body on the floor. Um, on the door there's this like pentagrams and this attack symbol and 666 and I just feel like asking when did Michael become a graffiti artist like halfway through him do you feel like saying oh man I can't wait to spray this on but when do you see but when Laurie sees this she is going to laugh you know I just want to see you know if there was like a little scene in the film where Michael is just standing behind a door and just like like peeking through like oh is she here yet is she here yet uh, no, she's not here. I'll oh, wait till she sees this. She's gonna think I'm an artist. <laughs> um, 
But no, I, I, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and it just feels like a drag. You know, it just feels like another Rob Zombie film where it's all it's all style over substance, and um, you know, everyone is just rammed up to an asshole. And what was really hard about the film is that you know you had this opportunity to like say, okay, so this is what worked in my film. Um, and I've got and had the time to take a breather, so this is what I want to do in the next film. And instead of learning from, as you're saying, learning from your past mistakes, you know, Rob Zombie decides, well, everything I'm going to take my style, and I'm going to take Halloween, and I'm going to ramp up to, you know, twenty. And it was just really, even Margot Kidder is in the film. Um, she plays a therapist, and it's just like, oh, really? She's just there to help a screaming woman? Um, okay, okay, that's fine. And you know, people, and you know, the actors do well with what the roles. I mean, we've got a reoccurring characters back, but it's just no one's likable in the film, and the film is just. And I'm, I might be repeating myself, but it just feels like that there was no, it was just style of substance. There was no direction. This is just Rob Zombie having a field day with the studio's money and I think this is what led to the downfall of the film because even though the budget was 15 million it, it and it did bring in revenue it wasn't the big hit that they wanted um, the Dimension films because it only brought in about roughly 40 million and yeah it's just and negatives like everything about the film is just negative and I'm, I'm surprised that you know the film hasn't lived up even with the extended version that they released where it's just more violent more artistic Rob Zombie style it's just it's just a really nasty film I, I can't find anything good to say I mean I feel sorry for um, Scout Taylor Compton because she is a good actress and you know seeing her grow from what she was in the first film the, the Laurie here to just Shouting, crying, shouting, crying, shouting, crying. It's just literally a constant loop. And, you know, I would love to see, you know, something similar that they did to uh, in Halloween H2O or the new Halloween film. Like, Laurie Strode's like, you know, I'm I'm living this trauma, but I'm not going to let the trauma bring me down. I'm going to prepare myself because, you know, I get this feeling that Michael is still out there or there's some evil out there like Michael. And... To me, it it could have benefited if someone said to Rob, um, "Okay, well, that's cool, man, but let's do this here." And you know, I think Halloween Two um, is just the catalyst of what happens when you give a director um, too much, like too much creative control, um, without just taking a moment just to reflect, like great idea let's see how we can flesh that into a great story um but i would loved it if they if they did do a remake of the original halloween sequel and with this one um just going with the idea that laurie Strode isn't is in the hospital she's recuperating and then michael comes back by uh insert mystery ghost premise uh ghost mum whatever and she you know, and she's literally, it turns into a big, you know, cat and mouse chase. I mean, it doesn't have to be like Mad Max style where cars are exploding and blood and guts everywhere. It can just be like, start off at hospital, the heroine thinks she's that she's safe, and then suddenly, 
of nowhere, Michael is back. Is it Michael? Is it someone pretending to be Michael? Is it another family member? Um, and just like have this chase, and you know, it, it it will contain the mystery of Michael Myers. And you know, we if you want to put weird ghost mom and horse in there, and I I don't know, it's. I think like there there could have been a better opportunity at sort of like Phoenix Redemption for Halloween too. But all I can say about the film is just just mainly negative stuff. I can't find any more positives apart from the opening. Um, but like I said, everything is literally ramped up to eleven on everything that was wrong with the first Halloween remake. Like characters are just assholes, bullying guts everywhere, no direction. A style of substance and I'm glad that they didn't go with a third film where you know we get I don't know Laurie Strode becoming another grungy Michael um, so you know she's probably like she'll be the new Michael Myers which uh, I think if it had an opportunity it would have been interesting um, I think it would have been an interesting take if it looked out like the idea that it's an evil that pass is passed on, you know, it's not like in film, it's not in birth, it's just something that's passed on. And it would have been an interesting aspect to see, like, you know, can Laurie Strode? Is it the mask? Like in the first one, is it the mask that makes the killer? Is it the actions that make the killer? Is it something else? And you know, if Doctor Loomis survived or we had a son, you know, he could have been like. You know, my dad, yes, my dad was an asshole, but, you know, I'm going to do right, you know, I'm going to do what he wanted to do, to help someone, you know, not walk into a schoolroom dressed as Mick Jagger, um, I just, I really wish that they did a little more, uh, with this film, and I'm glad that we got the, uh, reboot, um, slash other canon, uh, Halloween film. Uh, that came out this year and yeah I've got a lot to say about that one but for now um, Rob Zombie's Halloween because when I was young I didn't I didn't bother to see this film um, like not sneaking to cinema I just thought oh it's just another just another Halloween film nothing it didn't have that you know conjuring come to me feel it just felt like a pointless sequel because it came out in that period where there were a lot of pointless sequels coming out and you know you just didn't have much really. Um, so my thoughts on Halloween 2, um, just a massive, massive um, negative ride. Um, everyone's an ass. Like I say, I constantly say everyone is an asshole. Even the he heroes are assholes. Um, I don't feel sympathy for Michael. I, you feel, you do feel some sympathy for him when he's killing bad guys, but I think the film itself is just just a mess literally it's just Rob Zombie being all Rob Zombie-ish and yeah I'm, I'm glad they didn't go with third film and I'm glad we got the reboot and yeah I can't wait to talk about that one thank you all right folks so welcome back to the pub I think you might be able to tell from the ambience here that we're back in the pub uh, thank you very much for those thoughts Luke I think something that Luke kind of hit on there was that um I think in, in this movie, the only character that you're supposed to sympathise with is Michael. I, I I mean, I don't think he is sympathetic, but I think that's the way that Rob Zombie mm. thinks about it. You know, it's because he's a monster, but we kind of are supposed to understand why he became a monster. Mm. 
But to me, even if he did have a slightly horrible childhood with an annoying stepdad and a mum who was a stripper, that does not justify what he turns into. And he also, you know, he commits murders at the age of 10 or whatever. Mm. Um, he's pretty much irredeemable straight from the start. But the movie kind of acts like, a little bit like he's a tragic figure. And, and, and I think that's possibly why it made me so angry. Mm. Because he is not a tragic figure. I mean, he's not even a believable character in any sense. Even Rob Zombie seems to have, He's been determined to strip away any kind of supernatural elements yeah. of Michael... And yet, this mo- at the end of the previous movie, he was shot in the head at point-blank range by mm-hmm. Laurie. Yep. Spoilers. <laughs> um, and now he's back. Um, he was in a body bag, and he's got up. Uh, he gets run over at one point, I think, and he's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, being a big hulking guy makes you invulnerable. But this is what I meant when I say Rob Zombie's got a contempt for the audience, as if like those things don't matter. It doesn't matter that he got shot in the head. You know, the logic goes out of the window. We just, we just, this is just a sequel, and you know, we need Michael Myers so he can come back from the grave and he can do anything. Whether he's, we don't know whether he's supernatural or not. It doesn't matter. He's just going to go around killing people. You, you know, those kind of things don't don't seem to matter about whether something mm. makes sense or not, or logical, or whether it's yeah. believable. I mean, there, could have been, there could have been like an explanation, like it hit a portion of his brain yeah. he didn't use or it something. It off the metal plate in yeah. his head. Yeah, yeah. Was or it grazed his skull yeah. or something, but it looked like that. <laughs> no, Dan, I will take a crap explanation. Yeah. I love a crap explanation. Give me an explanation. <laughs> I will give credit to anything. Yeah, fair enough. You know, what is it in... Um, the best one ever was the one in the, the second... Um, Jurassic Park book where in the first book not in the films right. but in the first book Jeff Goldblum's character Ian Malcolm dies right. but then he has to be the lead in the second book because they were making a second film and he had Jeff Goldblum <laughs> in it um, and it's he's a, he's doing like a college lecture at the start and someone puts their hand up and says excuse me Dr Malcolm but didn't you die and he says no actually it turns out I was only slightly dead <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> you know Fair enough. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take any kind yeah. of nonsense. At least they've tried. But, you know... Well, yeah, in Halloween Resurrection, we, it's revealed that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis didn't cut Michael Myers' head off. That somebody was dressed up as Michael Myers. All right, it's a rubbish explanation, but, but it, it is, is an, an explanation. explanation. Yeah. There's some kind of rushed reason why it yeah. happened, which you can then accept or not accept, but at least the filmmakers have made the effort you to try what, and explain it. You know what I'll say? You know the fake... The, you know they're in Resurrection where they're in the, not not my favourite film but you know when they're in the house and they're discovering the chains and the, all the kind of uh, instruments of torture that apparently like chains chained to the baby seat and things like yeah. that like that would have been a more interesting origin and would give more credence to what he does and what he becomes yes. than the actual one we get from Rob Zombie yeah. um, like I would understand him being a complete maniac after a childhood like that but yeah, no. But that's that's fake. That was I mean, a fake. Yeah, you know. Rob Zombie's thing seems to be this is a cruel world. This is a vicious world. So people are going to grow up and it'll make turn some people into murderers. Whether he's trying to make some kind of political point, I don't know. Yeah. That, that this is if you keep a if you have keep people sort of financially, economically underprivileged, whatever. Mm. If you have trailer trash, um, then this is what's going to happen. So we shouldn't. Well, you know, have it. And to be fair, there is a theme running through the film about. Um, kind of uh, capitalism corrupting and, and mm. stuff. Dr. Loomis, I think possibly the 
a line in the film that I didn't uh, sort of half enjoy uh, was when Dr. Loomis says something about America is... Oh, God, I can't remember. Oh, that. it's something like America creates the instruments of war, famine, pestilence, and Michael Myers. Oh, yeah, he does that. Something like no, that. No, it's not that bit I'm thinking of. No. no he, he, has a, he says he, he's got a kind of... Um, pithy comment that's along the lines you know kind of no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the public that kind right, of thing okay. yeah so about kind of selling the book it out. yeah, right. yeah. Um, but I can't remember what it is yeah. but no the, I mean there is that thing there and I think by the way anybody who likes this film and want to hear someone talking generally positively about it and giving it some, some credit go to the Movie Bob review of it on YouTube Movie Bob's a good critic yeah, like who I enjoy he gives a pretty good review to this yeah. movie and, and it's mainly because of themes like that that he finds in it yeah, but um, that's yeah, but uh, Rob Zombie is saying capitalism corrupts, and uh, you know you don't lose money underestimating the intelligence of the American public. But then that's exactly what he's doing by making this film. Yeah, yeah. he's making a <laughs> film that appeals to the lowest common no, denominator. To be fair, he didn't say that line. That's a quote from somewhere else. I'm just yeah, saying yeah. it was that kind of line. Yeah. Well, he's used but, that for that reason, right? Yeah. But if he's trying to make that kind of point, then it's not. Yeah, he's sort of speaking. Speaking of Loomis. There's a there's a line where he we walk he walks in and he's very much this arrogant prick, uh, and he's like calls his assistant a carpet muncher and all these other things. Oh god! Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? And and he goes and he sees a picture of himself in the trench coat. And he was like, no, that's old Loomis. Yes. I, want, I want new Loomis. This Loomis. <laughs> and I went and I just instantly went, I hate new <laughs> Loomis <laughs> because in the last podcast when we were talking about Halloween, I was like, I really like Malcolm McDowell's portrayal. He's sensitive. He's professional. Uh, unlike you know the Donald Pleasance one, as much as I enjoyed the Donald Pleasance one, that he you mm. know it was a bit different. It was a bit more akin to what I think a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, what have you, would be and would act like. I mean, the thing is, I don't know if he was any good at his job, but at least he cared. Yes, exactly. And he, he, was, cared. he was very sympathetic. He cared, and he, 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 you know, he ran everywhere after Michael to find him and to talk him down. Uh, and in this film, he does a complete 180. Yeah. I don't know what happens in those two years, but he becomes an absolute bellend. Yeah, it's for no reason. It's a completely unbelievable character turn. It's a massive... Um, it's an extreme oversimplification of, of whatever zombie is trying to say yeah. about the way media um, scrutiny changes people, and it just feels very, very ham-handed. I mean, like, the, the all the scenes where Loomis makes a fool of himself on television while giving mm. a lecture or whatever, and he just ends up screaming, Michael Myers is fucking dead! <laughs> Do I have to spell that for you? D E A. You know, it's just like it's like a five-year-old's writing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and th- that is a problem throughout yeah, the, the film, I think. Just like, but I did say that we we're talking about um, we're t- talking about characters in the film who are sympathetic, if there are any. Hmm. I suppose one of the most sympathetic characters is probably Loomis's PA. Yeah, she definitely. She seems okay. And did anybody else? Was anybody else reminded of the relationship between Alan Partridge and Lynn? I wish I missed that. I'm just. She as good as that. The, 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 the long-suffering female PA. I think Loomis's PA is called Nancy. I can't yeah, remember maybe, the name yeah. of the actor, but um, you know, you just feel for her constantly because yeah. he's a terrible, awful, awful. Yeah. But yeah, he's. Uh, it's just a compl- and like he he. I think he's supposed to have this redemptive arc at the end. Like I, I owe you this much, sheriff. I owe you this much. Let me distract him. 
Um, you know, because the sheriff's about to kill him. But the the reason that, that that it's supposed to be a redemptive arc is not because Loomis has been a, a terrible person no. and realizes it. I mean, you know, horrible to his PA, horrible yeah. to the, the media, whatever. Yeah. That's all incidental. It's specifically because he's been really insensitive. In his portrayal in the book of the victims of, yeah. of Michael, and he's some, somehow right. He's written about Laurie in the book and revealed that she was Michael's yes. sister, but she doesn't know that. Yeah. How is that even possible that you could publish yeah, that kind of information someone. in a book without having to clear it? Yeah. And also, there's a bit uh, the book signing where um, a character comes in played by one of the commanders from The Handmaid's Tale. He's a okay. really good actor. Um, I can't remember his name, I do apologise. Um, and shows him this picture, and Loomis kind of goes, um, Ooh, pretty girl. Yeah. Um, what, what name do I make it out to? And he's like, he tells the name, he says, That's my, That was my daughter. I think she's supposed to be the PJ Souls character. Possibly, yeah. Um, and it's like, he might be deluded, he might be fame seeking, whatever he is, but is he so stupid that he looks at a picture of someone whose death he wrote a book about yeah. and doesn't recognise? There's gotta be pictures in that book. I don't care. <laughs> like, even even if there's not gruesome, you know, crime scene photos, there's at least photos of the victims, at the very least, mm. surely. You know, and it, and it's so it's things like that, it's Well there's the content for the audience. You're saying that he's writing it's like writing like a five year old would write. Yeah. But that's him writing that's what he thinks the audience mm. are not able to understand anything more than that. He has to make everything right. so simple and so spell everything out Dumb, and be so clunky down. about it. Yeah, dumbing down, absolutely yeah. dumbing down, because he thinks that's what the audience will understand. Yeah. You know, and he's writing down, he's condescending down to the audience, he's writing down for them, and that's why I found it so, it's, this film so objectionable. Mm. It's, not, it's not necessarily the violence when it no. is violent, but I've seen other yeah, exactly, violent yeah. films like this. It's the violence of the people, it's the violence of the. It's language and the yeah. dialogue and the world that these people inhabit, where it's everybody the, it's like, the harshness. It's it is, the, yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, just this just, distasteful. Yeah, it's the way it's, this nihilistic view yeah. of the world that everybody's. Like, what's listeners? What's his I'm, damage? <laughs> yeah, good question. I've got to say, listeners, you might have been hearing some bumps and bumps there. I didn't want to stop the passion of people. It's just we're getting so het up that we can't help knocking the table. And it's coming across yeah. on the mic. So, you know, woe betide anyone oh, who interrupts right. Howard into, in flow like it that. It gives it verisimilitude. <laughs> yep, no, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what um, I thought we would do is, because I think we, we're in danger song. of getting into, into tirades about this oh, right. movie. Yes. And I don't, and, and it could possibly be a real rabbit hole, because I'm sure <laughs> we all have loads we could say. Um, so what I'll do is I'm just going to go down my list I believe you had some notes as well. Yeah, I've got, maybe, yeah, I've got maybe some maybe notes. We yeah. Do. yeah, we'll do that. So here's my list of notes about this movie. Um, uh, it tries to be its own thing. I've already said that. Octavia Spencer's in it. Yeah, said that. Um, oh, Margot Kidder. Um, Luke did mention that Margot Kidder's in it. And I think... It didn't occur to me at the time when I saw this at the cinema... Um, I just kind of a bit like Luke was just thinking what's she there for she mm. doesn't have much to do it's yeah. fu- it's funny when you get a name actor in to play a role of a character who doesn't really connect to any of the main action at all yes, yeah. and yet it's, t- it's bigger than just a cameo mm. it's not just it's not like Kylie Minogue in San Andreas where she walks <laughs> into a room has three lines and then walks out of a window and dies Oh, is that, is, I need to watch this film now. You, you do. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. What? Well, no, I like San Andreas. Watch it. Um, 
And anything that uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson does with Brad Payton is probably quite fun. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be watching the next one. But yeah, anyway. Um, but no, I, I think maybe Margot Kidd is there as Rob Zombie tipping his hat to Black Christmas. Yeah, I imagine so. She was like, that's one of her, for me, I've not seen a lot of her work, but that's one of my <clears> favourite <throat> roles of hers. An right. amateurville horror. I forget she's in that one. I've never no. seen that. No, I haven't seen that either. So. I've seen that. You want to see it, yeah. Just, you're going to watch Amityville Horror, the original, just prepare yourself for Rod Steiger's performance. Yeah. Oh. Just, you know. I, you know what? <laughs> the I, I've actually up. seen the, the remake <clears throat> uh, with Ryan I Reynolds. I've seen the remake. Yes. I saw it when I was doing a TIE tour, so mm. we put it on one night when we were all absolutely mm. exhausted and <laughs> a bit pissed. Uh, so let's watch this film. Uh, it was all right. I can't remember anything about it. No, I can't really remember that um, much. I mean, the original's not supposed to be that good, so I didn't really mind the idea of the remake, but I know, but it sounds like that wasn't very good either. Mm, no. Um, well, it was, it was, I hear that Amityville... It wasn't as bad as Halloween this one, at all. <laughs> Amityville 2 and 3 are, are meant to be quite fun, I've heard. Um, Amityville 3 is the one that was in 3D and has Meg Ryan in it when she was okay. very, very young. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we're getting a bit off, yes. off topic. But I just, Tangents. But um, as we are discussing movies, not this one, we never mentioned in Halloween 2007 that Udo Kier was in it, um, playing another character who doesn't forget, uh, d- doesn't connect to the main yeah. action. Uh, but I do remember thinking, like, oh, is Udo Kier supposed to be Dr. Wynn? <laughs> and uh, and I was kind of disappointed. He, uh, and he's not, because for some reason Zombie changed the name and he, and he called, you know, the nurse who, who Michael stabs with a yeah. fork. She's called Nurse Wynn. Um, right. Played by um, that actress from And Halloween she loses from... her life. Ha ha ha. Sorry, that's gone over my head, Dan. She's, she's called Win. Lose. Oh win, dear. Win, <laughs> <laughs> the best jokes are the ones you have to explain. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, no, I, Everyone's I mean, a winner. <laughs> if you're going to play around with Halloween and. Because um, uh, the first remake is a bit playful, uh, at least it attempts to be in the. The, the way it messes with some yeah. of the icons and the music and stuff like that. I, I would have loved it if he'd shown us Dr. Wynn, played by Udo Gear or whoever, and he had like an office which was full of druidic artwork yeah, or he had a hood cool. on the back of his yeah, door. Yeah. You know, just something ridiculous like that to link into the, 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 the heritage of these yeah. movies. The Thorn Cult. Huh. Yeah. But I'm amazed at the accuracy he gets in these films. Uh, I mean, Brad Dourif. Yes, Brad Dourif's now a horror yeah. star, I suppose. He's as yeah. much a horror star now. I was kind yeah. of. Vincent Price and Peter Cushing were yeah. in their time. He's done so many horror films mm-hmm. now. In a very small part in this film, just as one of the nurses or whatever in the hospital, is an actress called Caroline Williams, who was in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And he's really good in that, and she's like the main one in it. Well, Dennis Hopper's the main one in it, but Caroline Williams right. actually does the acting in it. I've never seen that one. Is yet. that when Leatherface dry humps somebody with a chainsaw? Is that her? He tries to. <laughs> she's in the, She's in the, She's got her legs kind of like... And, Oh, and, uh, she's very good anyway she's yeah it's not as bad as that <laughs> but but she is I suppose and she's, she's starting to make a few horror films now kind of she's she's one of these people that people who grew up watching yes. these films 30 40 years ago is now putting in their mm. films sort of um, so they're making a very nice living fan service yeah yeah it is it's sort of like these, well, these I mean, people and also you've got the usual kind of Rob Zombie cronies. The usual mm. suspects. Because, yes. I mean, I think Leslie Easterbrook is in this movie. I only know that because I think her name was in the credits at right. the end. I don't know who she played. But she's Sergeant Callahan 
the sexy tall one from the Police Academy Ooh. films, and she's also in The Devil's Rejects. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, I think she's in here. Uh, there's an actor called Daniel Roebuck who's in most zombie movies. He's one of the cops in here, I think. Mm. And someone we've really got to talk about who we didn't mention is Danielle Harris. Mm. Yes. Uh, we didn't mention her at all in Halloween 2007. She was in that playing Annie in a wonderful piece of um, seren- uh, synchronicity. Um, she was about the same age as Nancy Loomis was when she played Annie, i.e. they were both 30, um, <laughs> playing teenagers, but um, both being about equally convincing, I think. Um, yeah. And it's great that she comes back, and I do like the plot development that um, Laurie, having had her entire family killed in the previous movie, um, you know, whereas in the, in the original Halloween and Halloween 2 Laurie's family don't get killed they just disappear and are never referred to again after the opening don't forget to put the key in the Morris place he just goes it's like we can't afford him anymore bye Um, but no she's lost all the family so so the brackets have taken her in and we just mentioned Brad Dourif and I do think although Luke suggested it's it's probably not perfect characterisation but I do think probably Brad Dourif is the best performance and the best character in this film just yeah. because you really do feel for him when his daughter's speaking. Because he's a very, very good actor. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think he is, for me, he's the most sympathetic out of all the characters in this. He, for me, is the most sympathetic. Mm. Yeah, and I agree. And he's still annoying. Oh, yeah. That You know, I, I, I didn't... The only bit... I, I found him... When he's going on about paint your wagon, <laughs> I just found that irritating. <laughs> you know, um, but I did feel for him when he finds his daughter killed and it is horrible to see Daniel yeah. Harris finally killed mm. because in the in the earlier films when uh, Jamie was killed because mm. the actress switched we were spared that pain yeah but the sequence in this where Michael well, did she did she officially die in the last one and then they were like mm, we kind of want to bring her back or was it was it kind of left uh, no, but, well, I think the sheriff finds her and she's still alive okay so you know it could have gone either way but I think it's First, I, I just—it's re- her performance is good in this. Yeah, she's a great actress. Yeah. Um, and they all are. And the way the, the her death scene <clears throat> is kind of filmed is half good in the sense that is there's a kind of it's intercut in two yeah. different sections, and yeah. the bit where it's silent and you just see her running and the terror on her face, mm. and you can and suddenly it's Jamie. Mm, you can again, see yeah. that mm. child. And you don't want to see her die. And then it cuts away. Yeah. Because for a moment I felt that the zombie was sensitive enough to know that you yeah. don't want to see her die. No. But then it cuts back. Yeah. Um, and also, every time she's attacked in these movies, she's naked. Yeah. It, in both Halloween 2007 and 2009. And... Oh dear. I'm not a kid anymore. <laughs> I don't know. If uh, yeah, well, I don't necessarily think it was her choice. No, maybe, well, maybe it was, I don't know. But... Um, uh, yeah, and, but we, it, it was good that she came back, and it, mm. uh, and and I thought we had to mention her. She Definitely. is good, and the, and and she and Brad Dourif and Scout Taylor Compton all play those familial domesticity scenes mm. as if they're doing a real drama. Yes, you know, it's they're not necessarily the most likable characters. But it's it's much better than Michael's home life in the last film. Yeah, mm. 
Yeah, it's got more nuance to it. Yes, it certainly does. I feel like he's obviously gone, okay, that maybe that was a bit too much. But well, there are good actors in that. William yeah. Forsyth, who plays his stepdad, is yeah. a great actor. Yeah. It's yeah. not, it's not. The, the actors, the performances are great. That's what they are. They are so convincing playing these horrible people. I really, like him, in, uh, I really like him in Juice Bigelow, where he's constantly showing <laughs> Juice Bigelow his penis and goes, is this weird? Is this weird? Well, what about this? <laughs> I haven't seen that thing. Not the one to go on my watch list. Uh, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. Um, I, I, will say, I will say this, when Brad Dourif is screaming when his daughter's dead. He gives the old no, 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 a run for its money. Does he really? He certainly yeah, does. He does. For, me, for my money, for my <clears> money. Um, um, but yeah, uh, going back to Margot Kidder, I, I don't know if maybe she, because she has a quite a historic past with kind of uh, mental health issues. Yes. She was she, in the 90s, she kind of ended up homeless and yeah. very had a nervous breakdown and then became kind of an advocate for. For mental health in actors and various mental health mm. um, issues, so, so maybe she, her playing that psychiatrist character was quite, you know, quite, quite nice, and it's something that she's familiar with. She didn't have to maybe do that much research into it. Yeah. Um, so I imagine does, she probably took quite a lot of pleasure in that. She does give it as, as much of a sensitive reading as possible, mm. you know. Mm. And it's it's just a shame she doesn't get more to do. It's a, it, yeah. But, but I think that's at the time. I think I kind of sensed that and I and I felt it was a shame that she was kind of it felt like she was putting the movie I didn't I'd forgotten about the Black Christmas link yeah. the slasher movie yeah, yeah. link and I just kind of thought she's been putting this movie almost as a kind of spin on her own known yeah. past mm. and I think that was a shame really mm. because she's only in this movie to be the psychiatrist a very of a very disturbed young woman mm. Um, and just talk about that. She doesn't do anything else. We've done anything else about her, yeah, and it true. just feels horribly like a bit of a comment on the late Margot Kidder's yeah. later life, and that's yeah. a shame. Did she get killed? The in character, or? In, in character. No, no, no she no, doesn't. She's not, no, she just no. disappears from the movie. What, what time? What time? At what point did you tune out when you were watching? Well, it? I think I fell asleep after. Octavia died. I don't think you did, Harold. I'm thinking luckily of, uh, early in the, the film. Well, well, uh, I was, I know, no, because I, yeah. that scene just it annoyed me. Mm. It annoyed. Well, the, the, the two guys in the car annoyed me. I thought, yeah, God, we're going to go through all this again. And then when that poor nurse got slashed across the face, yeah. and then he's just stabbed it like that. I thought, no, I don't. I don't want to spend too time much, with these people. I don't. I don't. I get too. It was my birthday the other day, my, you know, I... And you treated yourself by watching this. Yeah, I treated myself as my present to myself. I realised that I don't want to spend... I don't want to squander the precious time I've got left for me on this mortal realm by watching these sort of things. I want to do something a bit more no, no, useful. I, I understand what Watching you're Antiques from. Road Trip. I mean, I will say... <laughs> I will say that... Um, about the opening segments, actually, I do find it quite frightening. That's a, more or less the best thing I could say. You know, the whole kind of relentlessness of Michael stalking <coughs> yeah. Molly out into the parking lot and things like that. It does. I do find it tense and, un- and unpleasant and horrible, and I am scared. And I, I don't want Richard Riel to die as the attendant. Oh, yeah, yeah he's, he's Kenny, the guy who turns up and goes and tr- and, and helps Is Laurie. Is it Buddy? Out I thought it was Buddy. Oh, is it Buddy? It Sorry. Might be buddy. Yeah, no, Kenny's the security guard in the original Halloween 2. I was surprised they didn't call this guy Kenny yeah, as, a, as well. a link. Um, yeah, and uh, you know what? I don't even, maybe he's not even Kenny. He's called Mr. Something, isn't he? Mr. Yeah. Garrett. Mr. Garrett. Yeah, Mr. Garrett. Uh, but maybe he's Kenny Garrett, or maybe I've just invented that from somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, but, but even that sequence, yeah, it's rubbish because it 
for all it turns out to be a dream anyway. Yeah. But oh, for all God. the reasons we've just sort of outlined. I mean, I, I like the sort of the thing that tips you that it's a dream is that the fact that Justin Haywood is on television singing Nights in Wet Satin and it just goes on. Yeah, it's exactly. Like it lasts for the entire well, scene. It just it turns on and the TV turns on by itself as well. Like there's nothing. Oh, yeah. It's not on before she goes in, locks the door, and then all of a sudden it pops on. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, and that was one of my notes. I was like, TV's just come on now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> TV's just turned on. But it does have the thing that happens later in the movie in the non-dream sequences, which is when Laurie is in extreme distress and needs help from a stranger, she fails to say to the person, there is a psycho killer yeah. very nearby trying to kill me. She Kiss just goes... <laughs> and the person goes, no, don't worry, you'll be okay. Just get in, it's all fine. I'll take you to the hospital. Yeah. They just, you know, because Michael disappears and horribly kills them. Um, Richard Riley, or however you say his name, is also in the film called Hatchet. Uh, is he he's really? horribly killed in that. But I've heard that's pretty good. Hatchet, actually, well, again, I didn't see it all because it was on very late at night. But the thing about Hatchet, it's, it is a very gruesome film, people. You need to change your bedtime. But, yeah, I do, yeah. <laughs> yeah <I'm> <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning. Uh, there is a scene where a woman sort of... The killer puts his hands up in her mouth and kind of pulls her head. Oh, gosh. But, no, but I would say that, yes, it's gruesome, but... In that film, the first half hour is getting to know the characters yeah. and sort of liking them yeah. because they've got a sense of humour yeah. and they're funny. Some of them are a bit annoying and some of them are a bit... But you kind of like them. So when they start getting killed, it means something. There is an emotional effect. Oh, no, I don't want them to die. No. Oh, no. Yeah, of course. Um, That's important. Uh, there is humour. I don't see... I think one of the problems with a lot of Halloween films is there's no humour in it. There's no jokes. True. That is mm-hmm. true, yeah. And it's all so dark yeah. and it's almost as if, oh, this, this is a horror film so we can't put any... It'll yeah. spoil things yeah. if we have... But it doesn't. I think humour is an essential part of horror, horror films Definitely. and you need to balance that. And this film, Hatchet, as gruesome as it is, once the killings start, um, it does have a sense of humour. Right. The characters joke and say silly things and so you actually care about them. And so, however gruesome it is, uh, you like the people. When yeah. you don't like the people, it's what Luke said, they're all ourselves. Just before we move on yeah. further on your list, I just wanted to say... Um, again, Margot Kidd is great with the role that she has. But one thing that annoyed me about the the psychiatrist is like, oh, what's that on the wall? It's a Rorschach, you know, uh, painting, ink blot, whatever. And they're like, you know, you, whatever you see within that ink blot represents, you know, your your subconscious, your whatever. Uh, and what really annoyed me is it was clearly a fucking white horse. <laughs> like, there's no way anybody else could interpret that. Anything but a white horse. Well, no, yeah. but the thing that annoyed me was that she says, what do you see? And she says, a white horse. Yeah. But I was like, there are two white horses. <laughs> it is clearly an image exactly. of a horse that's yeah, doubled it's, over. Like, it was designed for that purpose to look like a white horse to go along with the rest of the narrative but it's clearly a fucking white horse. Yeah, but there we are, Rob Zombie can't trust the audience to get it, so he has to put it in their faces. Well, I feel like in... You know what? I'm never working with Rob Zombie. It's fine. (laughs) I feel like he wrote in a script, it's a Rorschach, and she says, it's a white horse. And then the the art person who had to actually design the thing was like, but Rob... They don't work like that. Yeah. You can't have one that just looks like a horse's head. It's got to be at least two. Can't she say it's got two two white horses? Yeah, or but well, they probably never like, have so, that. It's got a look like could it be one of two things? Maybe it looks like a bat and a horse, or mm-hmm. something like that. I, I've, yeah, it's just clearly a fucking white horse. And they've literally just gone right. I'll draw the white horse, and I'll just pfft, just yeah. put a bit of black everywhere else. <laughs> yeah. Then fold it out. Done. <laughs> Job done. <laughs> 
it enjoy would have, Mr. Zombie. It would have been really interesting, right? If there was no, it didn't look anything like a horse or anything. Yeah. And she just goes, it's, it's a, a white, white horse. horse. Yeah, there you go. There you fucking go. Yeah, you know what? Because she's mad. That's the point yeah. of the film. If, if, if there's any point to this film, it's that Laurie is going mad. Because she could even look and go, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that, yeah. Or yeah. something. There's, there's so many ways they could have done that instead. But. So the next thing on my list is that I, I, I find it strange. I feel like in Halloween 1978, there's a reason it's called Halloween. It's not just because it's set on Halloween night. It's like they take that title and make it the substance of the film. That's the atmosphere of the film. It's the theme. It, uh, it's the eeriness, the supernatural qualities. Zombies movie, it doesn't have any atmosphere. It doesn't have any supernatural qualities. There's nothing Halloween about it, except that it happens to be set on Halloween. So I don't think either film earns the title. And the sequel mm. is even just called Halloween 2. Why is it called that? Uh, you know, sequels don't tend to be called something too these days. No. Um, it's just called Halloween 2 because the 1981 film is called Halloween 2. Mm. Why isn't it called Halloween White Horse? Or, yeah. <laughs> you know? or, or, or Halloween The Killing of Octavia Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <White> so, <laughs> Halloween The Killing of Everyone's Career. Yeah, I mean, uh, sadly, not Rob Zombies. I, um, yeah, I'll tell you what it should have been called is... Uh, <laughs> Should have called off. That's what you're <laughs> no, that's better than what I was going to say. <laughs> we'll just go with that. Oh man, are you sure? So? Yeah, go on, go on. I'll get okay. to, I'll get to what I was going to say later. So, um, I again things that I did I, I kind of like. Um, I kind of like. <laughs> kind of like. This is a long list. I, I kind of <laughs> liked the girl dressed as Frankenfurter. Yeah, she is nice. Yeah. Um, maybe not the, her character, but the fact that she chose to dress as Frankenstein yeah, at the Halloween cool. party. Although I thought, I thought it was interesting that whenever anyone says to her, "Who are you dressed as?" She, she says, "I'm a chick dressed. I'm a guy dressed a, as a chick. chick who wants to be a, a no. She, I'm, a, I'm a chick dressed a, up as a dude, dude who who's dressed to be a chick. Uh, yeah." Um, and, I, and I just kept thinking, uh, does she say that just because they don't have the rights right to say Frankenfurter? Yeah. Mm. But she did look cool in that outfit. She did, yeah. She looked really good. And her, you know, she's not in it much, but I did enjoy her character, you know, for for the length of time. Again, yeah, uh, yeah. That really pointless scene where she takes a Wolfman back back to his wagon and, and they're going to make out and then they yeah. get they both get killed. It's pointless. It's going yeah. And the dialogue's horrible. Yeah. But, it's, but it, the scene just lingers on it like, oh, I'm going to make but a scene about awkward teenage sex. Yeah. And, and he makes jokes about date raping and stuff. So obviously you should, that's a massive turn on for women, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. In my love life, clearly. In, <laughs> yeah. in my experience... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in my experience, no, that doesn't work. You know, I, it was it, obviously they're doing a bit of titillation and stuff, and Michael's obviously, you know, the trope of the you know the virginial teens having sex. Obviously, they're going to get murdered, but it was a, that that particular killing was a bit obligatory for me. It was just like yeah, just, we just have to rank, ramp up the body count. No, 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 well, I, just, I, I felt like I was at least it wasn't particularly nasty no but I just out. felt like I was watching Halloween 5 again yeah. stupid teenagers at a Halloween yeah. party getting killed and you don't care um I think I actually did care about them though. That's the, the, no, I, did, I, I cared about Tina's trying to be serious. I can't if I try. Whatever she says. No, but it, oh dear. It's like what I said a couple of podcasts ago. 
every time I watch a new Halloween film, the nostalgia for the previous <laughs> film which I thought I hated at the time just goes Exactly, on. you're going to think, oh, maybe this isn't so bad. Next note, there are actually two Howards in this film, Howard. Did, I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> what, what <was> the... <laughs> turned it off. Trevor, <laughs> Trevor Howard and Leslie Howard. Ter- Terence Howard. <laughs> One of them is the actor Howard Hesserman, who plays... Not off WK Hubbard. Is there anybody who's not in this film? Do you know <laughs> he used to be in WKRP in Cincinnati. What is that? I don't That's know. A, what? That's an American comedy series of the early 1980s. Right. Baby, if you've ever wondered... Oh, that's under copyright as well. No, right. Yeah, don't go any further. It was... Um, there was a radio station. It was very funny. It was on the same time as Soap. Right. Like when Soap went off, they put WKRP in Cincinnati on. But he's also been in Murder, She Wrote and all sorts of things. And he's in right. Spinal Tap. Is he oh, really? Of course. He's one of the... No, there is a great. Is he one of the drummers? No, he's, he comes on at days. <laughs> he just comes. They're in a hotel or something. He's, I can't remember his name now. He's got a fancy name. And when he when he leaves, he goes wanker. Anyway, he plays a character called Uncle Meat, who is the guy who owns the Rabbit in Red Club, the uh, strip club that Michael Myers's mum worked at. When which she was they alive. advertise the fact <laughs> that she worked there. Yeah, yeah. You must have the worst. <laughs> Ad man in the world working yeah, for you. Yeah, it actually marketing. says on the... I don't know if you got this far into the film, Howard, but it actually says on the sign outside, home of... Uh, is she called Deborah Myers? Yeah, I think so. Like Home of Deborah Myers. Meredith Myers, I don't know. Uh, mother of Halloween killer, Michael Myers. It's like, what? Huh. Um, You're making me want to see it just to see all these people. <laughs> but, but he's... he's Who I haven't seen for years. First he gets a scene where he's, he's like... He's dressed as Frankenstein. Frankenstein, yeah. And he's like handing out sweets to kids, and it's like a bit of comedy because he's like a children's entertainer, but he's actually really inappropriate. Yes, he's making balloon animals that are lewd. But to be fair, like I don't think I don't think that sh- it shows that much of him being lewd. I think initially no. he's just giving them sweets, but then yeah. but then Laurie says he's being rude and inappropriate. And I was like, is that yeah. her depiction? Because I didn't know he worked for the strip club until after yeah, yeah. Laurie. It doesn't about set up who he is. No, because it's it's just like, hey kids, have some sweets, and then she's in the psychiatrist office. She's like, he was saying this horribly inappropriate oh, yeah, things to right. kids, and he was saying, but you don't know that until until later that he runs a strip club and he's doing again. Like so the, just the basic writing grammar of it doesn't work. The scene doesn't work yeah. for what it's trying to do. So I'm starting to sound like Kobo. <laughs> right. Um, the rage and, of Michael. And, and, and yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. Um, so when we go back to the strip club, Uncle Mate gets a horrible death scene mm. and his girlfriend gets a horrible death scene. Mm. Michael Myers turns up and just, um, uh, I think Uncle Mate tries to shoot him, but Michael breaks his arm he, uh, by the way they're having sex when Michael oh, drops them it's I have to say that my favourite line in the whole film is is in this scene oh yes I, if it's it's probably my favourite line as well okay. is it said by the character called Howard because um, there's a character it's, called it's Howard kind of a t- it's said by both it's kind of a two part joke right okay uh, <laughs> my favourite line anyway he goes uh, he's, he's having sex with the stripper and he goes oh wait it's midnight and she turns around and goes, well, I don't think my pussy's going to turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> oh, my God. And that was my favourite line in the entire film. Yeah. Um, my no... favourite line, I'll tell you in a second. Yeah. So, yeah, so, but no, um, there's a horrible scene. He, he, Michael Myers turns up and kills them both. Uncle Meat gets his arm broken open yeah. and, and then screams horribly in his death. Uncle Meat? I know. <laughs> I don't like even saying that. And then and then uh, Michael Myers grabs his girlfriend by the hair and smashes her face through a glass door oh, yeah. over and over again for about two minutes. It is the most 
horrendous, angering scene of protracted cruelty that's pointless. Yeah. <sighs> and the other Howard... <laughs> I'm going to sue. <laughs> the other Howard in the movie is a character called Howard who is like um, a guy who works at the bar and he's just kind of there and he's talking to Uncle Meat before Uncle Meat goes off yeah. to um, have sex with the, his girlfriend. And this character called Howard is played by an actor called... Jeff Daniel Phillips. For me, I was going to say Jeff Daniels. <laughs> no, 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 thank God. Um, yeah, as Uncle Meek kind of walks away with his girlfriend um, under his breath, uh, Howard says my favourite line, which is, Enjoy the syphilis, old man. <laughs> uh, and that's about it. But, um, and then he goes outside and Michael Myers is there and kills him by stamping on his head. Oh, yeah. But the actor Jeff Daniel Phillips, in a weird thing, later reappears in the movie playing a different character. I think he's the, he's a, he plays a character called... Uncle Seymour Coffins, who I think is like the DJ at the. Oh yeah, yeah, he's one of the. He's the one telling all the lewd jokes yeah. at the at the concert. Yeah, I think that's before the strip club. I think, or is that? No, I think it's after. No, you're right. I think it is after. But no, he is. Yeah, he's the the one who's talking about the jokes about the blondes. Yeah, he's like, what's the difference between a blonde and a? Uh, I, I can't remember what joke he said. But so for some reason, Robert Zombie saw fit to give him two roles yeah. in the film. Um, but, and yeah, and, yeah. And, and the head stamping death is might be something we may see again. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yeah, and the absolute my absolute final note hmm. is Michael line of dialogue in this movie. Oh. Because Michael Myers speaks uniquely for the first time in the entire series he speaks, and I'm not talking about the sequences where you the kind of ghost figure of his young self is there speaking and you hear that. Which you know, as I said earlier, in a kind of basic theatre kind of way, it's an interesting way of having a character who doesn't speak, speak. You know, having his younger self present speaking hmm. for him. But there's actually a sequence at the end where Michael, the older Michael, speaks. It's when, um, it's at the climax of the film, when Dr Loomis has confronted him, supposedly in penance for having betrayed Laurie and his other victims by exploiting the media he he, he, he he tries to rescue Laurie from Michael and Michael kills him how does he kill him? he smashes him through a wall actually you know what I wish Luke was here at this point because I think in the extended cut he might have a much more gruesome death Right. because I'm sure Luke said that on the last mm. podcast but in the one I saw he smashes him through the wall and um, and chokes him to death I think and as he's doing that he says the only word Michael Myers as an adult has ever said in ten films mm. he says DIE and I just think of all the words you could get Michael to say mm. that is probably the least necessary yeah. basically if Michael Myers wants you to die you tend to know about it yeah. without him saying anything mm. um, like doesn't give us any other insight into the character doesn't no. you know he, yeah. he could say I don't know, father, or so, even something like that would have been more interesting, or mummy, hmm. or anything. Yeah. Or other horse. Than, <laughs> <laughs> white horse. Um, you know, anything other than that would have would have been fine, but ugh, it's an absolute waste of, a, yeah. of, of dialogue. It's a waste of three good letters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. you shouldn't do that in a screenplay. So that's the end of my thoughts. That's your movie. thoughts. Have you got any more um, notes I, I think we covered most of them, um, either through yourself or me speaking about them earlier. Uh, let me see. I was a bit annoyed with the. I, I didn't mind again. I didn't mind the hospital sequence and the chase and everything. I didn't particularly mind that until it was 
you know, I did have some issues with it, but um, the fact that it was a dream, it was like, it was just the longest dream sequence mm-hmm. I've ever experienced. For it to just go, <gasps> it was a dream. I just thought it's been going on for twenty minutes. <laughs> Why yeah. you shouldn't have done that just now? This is a lot of the movie to just be go. It was all a dream. I was just like, and it's it was you know it's a fairly well directed. Well, well, I won't, I won't go that far, but you know it it, it worked as a sequence. But it's I just gripping. yeah, it's, it's gripping, and it's it, like you said earlier. Yeah, you, know, you do feel for uh, Laurie's plight. Um, so I was I was invested, in the, and the, the fact that the, the first thing I'm invested in, I finally get invested in the movie, and they just throw it away. Yeah. Just, it just gets thrown away instantly, and I, and I wasn't that keen on that. Um, you know, they could have just Michael could have just not found her and just started wandering, because that's what he does for the rest of the film. Yeah, just wanders around. Um, another issue I had was. Um, so it says, what after the dream sequence, I think it says two years later. So it kind of says after the initial film, it's been two years since it passed. Uh, and then we find Michael, Hobo Michael, walking about. And we see we see his ghost mom, as, uh, as uh, Luke put it, ghost mom, <laughs> uh, leading this white horse. And she goes, Michael, it's almost time. It's almost Halloween. You must get ready. What did he do last Halloween? <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> why wasn't he yeah, getting ready then? Well, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, if, if that's such an important thing and such an important date to you, why did, he, what, did you miss it? Perhaps he's on his holidays. You know, <laughs> again, like like <laughs> eating dogs. <laughs> Korea. He went to Korea. No, and he, 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 <laughs> went to, he went to stay with a, a mountain man for a year. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. In a, in a coma that did in a coma while he didn't need any food or water, yeah, yeah. Or fluids or anything. And the man didn't think that was. And an he, didn't shit, he, didn't, he didn't shit or piss at all. Um, <laughs> you know, he didn't think that was weird. Um, but yeah, so that, that that put me off. I don't know, like even if it was like like you said, if there was an explanation for it, like he was still healing or his brain there was some brain damage and he didn't realise what time it was or who he was and he had to recover. Something like that would have made more sense. Um, what else? I'm just trying to see if I've not I've mentioned quite a lot of it already. Um I think that's almost it. Apart from um, one of the final cops we see that we haven't seen prior in the film, he comes up to Brad Dourif's character and says, um, we found him, he's in a shack, and what have you. Now this happens to be the voice of Patrick the Starfish from Spongebob Squarepants. Oh, right. I'm definitely <laughs> going to watch this film now. So it was quite, it was quite, uh, it was quite nice to see him because he was like, you know, hey Spongebob, kind of like that. That's <laughs> not Daniel Roebuck, is it? I, I think it is. I think right, it is. Yeah. If, if that's if that's the actor that plays Patrick the Starfish, I think right. I'm pretty sure that's him. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my final note. Um, I think wow. everything else I've mentioned. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I had similar things to you. In that, you know, I talked about the fact that I, I went to this film hoping hmm. that, well, basically from the fact that I didn't want to see that the, the remake of Halloween. Because I didn't think Halloween needed to be remade. Halloween 2, I didn't mind the idea of it being remade. And actually, for the first 10, 20 minutes, it seems to be doing what Halloween 2 did, Hmm. which is just carried on straight from the first movie. I kind of didn't realise that as well when I was watching it until we mentioned it today. Except you could argue that structurally it's better because it gets Laurie straight in the action and it starts off with the chase sequence. Hmm. And in a way, like Luke said in his um, piece, you know, if they if they'd done that for the whole movie, you feel like that's what it's setting up to, mm. and and that would have been quite impressive to, to, for the whole thing to work at that pitch. Yeah, but it's constant it's, chase, even though it's unpleasant, whatever. Mm. 
but at least I was gripped. But no, he's just all thrown away. I'll tell you what, though, I do like to think, even though it's fiction and it's ridiculous, but I like to think that because it was a dream sequence, Octavia Spencer and those other nice nurses never died. (laughs) Yes, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Me, I just think it's bad. Uh, (laughs) uh, Rob Zombie, as a director... Technically, it's competent. Like you say, it looks kind of good. It's, it's well-directed. I think he's a decent director, but I think he's a terrible writer. Mm-hmm. If he wrote the scripts of these things, he can't write characters. He can't write... Every character's the same. Every character speaks the same, more or less. He can't yeah. differentiate between people. I just, I just find it dismal that every, it's all so nasty and cruel and everybody's like that. And for me, it didn't work for me, I'm afraid. Is that the note but is Michael, does Michael Myers die at the end? Yes. He does actually die there. So but, no, he's not. Oh, you didn't see the end. He, oh, he yeah. dies I, think at, I, did, I think I saw it on YouTube. He dies at the end, but then Laurie is taken to the psychiatric hospital and it is hinted that she will go nuts next. And she kind of looks at the camera and gives an evil oh. grin. And then the credits come in and it's the only time in the whole movie that you hear the Halloween theme. Uh, the rest oh, of the Oh, God, is, yeah. Yeah. Well, but but it's a terrible version. Yeah. And, and it... Oh. I was just... Yeah, but, but it's pointless because it's like the rest of the film has had no relation to yeah. the earlier movies, and now suddenly it's bringing it in. Mm. Why and yeah, so so it ends on another horror cliche that I don't really like. That at least the original movies sort of mostly didn't do, which is that you have a twist at the end that the person who was the hero is going to become the villain. Mm. They're going to become the thing that they were fighting, and but that's what it is. Um, so it it I mean. Yeah, I, I don't love this movie. I've mm. seen it twice now, which is more than I ever thought I'd see it. <laughs> I'm never going anywhere near it ever again. No. Thank you, Robert Cummings, for everything you've contributed to my life and taken away from it. I'll never get back. <laughs> uh, Dan, have you got any final thoughts that you'd like to add? Um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing the new one after seeing this one. That's exactly how I felt, and I damn well made sure that I watched this, uh, Zombies Halloween 2, before having seen because I thought I want the best possible chance that this whole podcast series will end on a good note or at least a slight upswing you know how bad can it be Um, so that's probably a really good note to end on we'll be back next time when we will be discussing the new film with our special guest Ian Winterton oh no (laughs) you haven't invited him have you So we'll all be talk- we'll all be back soon to conclude our epic journey and talk about Halloween 2018. And I know we're all very much looking forward to doing that. So for now, though, this has been and now the podcast starts. Episode about Halloween 2. You can find us on Twitter um, if you follow myself and Howard on at Lee Cushing Pod or at and now podcast. Dan, do you have a handle? Um, on Saturday <laughs> 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 City. <laughs> Careful, uh, careful where you grab me. Um, uh, I guess uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Dan underscore Balls, or if you want to find me on Facebook, I'd be at Secret Balls on Facebook. If you type that into the search bar, uh, my page should come up. So, that's Halloween 2 2009 comprehensively covered, I hope. Hope you enjoy that, that, listeners. And if you're a fan of the film, or if you hate it, we hope we've given you some uh, different perspectives to consider. If you've never even seen the film, I hope it was an entertaining discussion, despite that. Just a few recommendations for me for entertainment for you for the coming week, which is, of course, leading up to Easter weekend. 
in uh, the UK. So I've picked a few things uh, essentially in the spirit of my absent but much missed co-hosts uh, Kirsty, Stella and Ian, all of whom will, will be back next week. But as it happens, there are a few things on TV next week, or a couple of things which I know uh, they like, so I'll, I'll give a mention for them. Ian's recommendation from a few weeks ago, which was The Terror, which is available on BBC iPlayer, is continuing its uh, run on BBC Two. Um, that's on Wednesday nights. The entire series is available on the iPlayer. Also, on in terms of BBC broadcasting, uh, the entire podcast series, the Battersea Podcast. Uh, sorry, I always call it the Battersea Podcast, which is like some kind of minor brain damage I seem to be suffering. Uh, the entire podcast series, The Battersea Poltergeist, is going to be broadcast on Radio 4 in the UK next week, um, from Monday to Friday. Uh, again, I will put uh, links to the exact scheduling in the show notes. But if you haven't heard the podcast, um, then I recommend catching, catching up with it, whether that's via the podcast itself or with its radio transmission. Another film that I think would go down as a recommendation from Kirsty in the coming week would be The Guest. That's on the evening of Tuesday the 30th of March, and it's on Sony Movies. It's a tense uh, thriller starring Dan Stevens, which I think edges into horror. I've been wanting to watch it for years. It's kind of quite intrigued me because I've heard it described as John Carpenter-esque, and that's always um, a description which catches my attention. Then on Friday, on Film 4, there is the movie uh, Overlord, showing in the late evening. That was one of uh, Stella's recommendations from a few weeks ago when it uh, premiered on Netflix. It's a uh, World War II action horror film featuring Nazi zombies, it's from uh, producer J.J. Uh, Abrams and director Julius Avery. And it looks like a lot of fun, and I think I'll be aiming to catch it. And then finally, my recommendation, yes, something I've actually seen, is the movie Don't Breathe, uh, Fede Alvarez's horror thriller from 2016, which was a delightfully immersive experience when I saw it in the cinema with my friend Finbar. Uh, that's on Film 4 on Saturday evening. Uh, Saturday the 27th of March. That's tomorrow, if you're listening to this podcast as soon as it drops. Um, and it's got a great uh, hook, a, a great plot hook. It's about um, some opportunistic uh, young people who decide who've heard that um, an old blind man in their neighbourhood has a stash of cash in his house and they decide that since he's blind it will be poss- possible to, uh, to to steal it from him quite easily. What they don't realise is that although, yes, he is blind, uh, he's also a war veteran and once they're inside the house he rather has the advantage of them. Um, when we watched it, 
it was one of those movies where the packed audience was constantly screaming at the screen, uh, so involved with their, with, with the action and the characters. Don't go in there! Open the door! Run! So, um, for that, I, I really recommend it. So that's my recommendation. Anyway, that's the end of this episode. Um, we will be back next week. It won't just be me. It will hopefully be Kirsty, Ian and Stella as well. We'll be consolidating our thoughts from the episodes that have made up this first series of the podcast. By the way, we do intend fully to come back. It's not going to be the last episode ever, but we look forward to just kind of looking over what we've said and explored so far and filling in lots of gaps. So it should be a fun episode. It could go in all kinds of directions. In the meantime, take good care and stay safe. Bye-bye! You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by T.D. Velasquez and Howard Whittock. With special guests, Spider Dan and Luke Richards. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at andnowpod or at leecushingpod. Follow us on Twitter at andnowpodcast or at leecushingpodcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash andnowpodcast. And now, the podcast stops. <laughs>